This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks, episode 127, recording November 2nd, 2022. My goodness, November already. This is Ryan Sullivan, glad to have you here. So before getting into this episode, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places and search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. Nothing really too substantial for this episode. Uh, talk about some online for the original Xbox, Atari, and talk the usual sports, especially with the uh, Philadelphia Phillies uh, 2-1 series right now against the Houston Astros. Might be one or two other things uh, to look into a little bit as well. Uh, so let's get into it. Start off with with the football, uh, Thursday night football, eh, more scoring for sure. Baltimore having a good game against, uh, Tampa Bay 27 to 22, I believe was the final and Baltimore kind of up there in the AFC though. still kind of a, kind of a weak division. Kind of a weak league, all things considered, when you look at it all together. Definitely the big question, especially for Tampa Bay, is how do they get out of it? I think people are expecting like the same old stuff. Brady will find a way to get back and win a bunch of games, but I'm not sure this time around. Hard to fathom on that, but... Lamar Jackson put up another good game. Brady, the problem with Tampa isn't necessarily Brady. It's just their run game is garbage, and altogether, it, the the defense can only do so much. And I know they, I think they lost, yeah, they lost Shaquille Barrett, I believe, for the rest of the season. Let's see how the defense fared for Baltimore. I mean that's. It's always going to be tough to, yeah, they got themselves a few sacks in their uh, in their uh, victory. Baltimore five and three for the year. Tampa three and five. And then we got another London game. Jacksonville, kind of a fan favorite, I would guess. But Denver wins their game, going to three and five for the year, twenty-one seventeen against now a two and six. Jaguar team. I mean, a lot of their damage was through the ground, not so much the yards, but touchdowns from Melvin Gordon and Latavius Murray. And the defense did its job picking off uh, Trevor Lawrence a couple times and a couple sacks as well. Travis Etienne for Jacksonville is playing on a whole new level despite how bad the team has been running for 150 plus wait 23 yards more than uh lawrence's uh passing lawrence did throw a score but like i said the two picks defense did its job uh, a number of times just not enough in in the long run you look at detroit how the hell did this team blew the lead again. I don't know. But Dolphins win again, 5-3 and three for the year against a now 1-6 Detroit team. Tua Tagovailoa doing his job. Throwing for nearly 400 and three scores. Tyreek Hill and Jim Waddle are making this team look look way better than where they've been the last couple of years. Uh, Waddle with the touchdowns, Hill with the yards, although both hit over 100. As for Detroit, well, Goff is playing well, and and Williams ran for two scores. And this is coming off of 
these teams right now, they got some trades of their own that occurred. Uh, Miami got uh, Bradley Chubb, I think, for exchange of Chase Edmonds. And Detroit just traded uh, TJ Hawkinson to Minnesota. I'm not sure how he'll do yardage-wise, but definitely could be a big factor for blocking when uh, Dalvin Cook... You know, needs needs to run. Minnesota, I mean, we'll definitely look at their score because that was a tight one. But Minnesota could be a huge threat in the NFC this year. Even though they don't have the best record, I could see them as a team that goes to the Super Bowl over Philadelphia. I could see that happening. Atlanta, first place Atlanta. The Falcons 4-4 four four for the year, beating Carolina, who drops to 2-6 and six for the year. Overtime game. And probably the biggest blunder uh, out of Carolina, where uh, D.J. Moore, uh, the score was 37-34 uh, all at the end of the, of the game. But they were able to tie it up, Carolina. This P.J. Walker threw a pretty good throw to to Moore. But Moore took his helmet off. What are you doing? What are you doing? Cost him 15 yards. They went for the extra point to win it. I, why not go for two? I mean, I mean, it, it's... It, it, 48 yard extra points I mean or even just field goals they're not easy if you feel confident in in your receivers or maybe your running back shouldn't you uh, maybe throw it first two point conversion from the 17 Walker's accuracy was not good, but he threw for 300-plus a score and a pick. Dante Foreman had himself a really good game. The defense was doing its job, picking off Mariota a couple times, but Mariota threw for three scores. Uh, The running game doing a little better than usual in the wake of the last couple games without Cordero Patterson. And making the plays when they needed to. Uh, by the way, uh, Atlanta, I'm not sure if he was a free agent or not, but for, Calvin Ridley is a Jaguar now. Whenever he comes back from his suspension, he'll be with the Jaguars. And it definitely adds a young, fresh face. I I, I think I think by season's end, I, I, I see Marvin Jones being gone in Jacksonville. And speaking a few minutes ago of Minnesota, big win for uh, the Vikes, six and one now, and the Cardinals dropped the three and five with thirty-four to twenty-six game. The running game was through the roof, over a hundred yards. Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, kind of a pedestrian game, but he threw for two scores. Even the Madison guy ran for a score, too, as did Cousins. Kind of a quiet game for Jefferson. Now, 6 for 98 is nothing to sneeze at, but you think this guy would probably be 120 yards a game. I mean, he is really good. But that defense, let's see, four sacks and obviously the couple picks. Teams for real. And they got themselves a pretty good lead right now in the NFC North. And this is a Cardinal team that is relying so much on Murray's arm. It does kind of get predictable when he'll throw from what it sounds like. Because their run game is bad. And it spoils, I think, a good game out of DeAndre Hopkins. 150 plus in a score. And touchdowns from, uh, was it Rondale Moore and Zach Ertz? It just, the defense 
did their job too. I mean, creating pressure, sacking Cousins a few times, just not any turnovers. Well, not as far no interceptions. Now, if you want big beating, Bears dropped the three and five from a forty-nine to twenty-nine slacking uh, from Dallas, who moves to six and two for the year. Bears were kind of quiet in the second half. Got things going in the in the second quarter. Ran the ball well. Fields threw okay. Not so much yards, but uh, two touchdowns. See how they fare. Uh, see how they fare whenever if they play next week or not, because uh, they get Chase Claypool. Pittsburgh traded Claypool to them in exchange for like a I think like a late pick. And Dallas won without Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard over 130 yards and three touchdowns. This guy is going to go somewhere at some point. He's already up to 500 yards rushing this year, and it'd be interesting to see if they get to uh, thousand thousand with Elliott and uh, uh, Pollard, and obviously a defense playing lights out, good football. You'd think the Raiders would have scored points, but they got shut out 24 nothing to a bad Saints team. New Orleans is 3-5 and for the year. The Raiders, 2-5. and Derek Carr, just dreadful. And the run game was non-existent. It's just they did nothing well defensively either. And Andy Dalton had himself a... Oh, decent game, 229 and two scores. Alvin Kamara uh, being pretty much the entire offense, running for 60 yards and a score, catching for almost 102 scores. And just, I don't know how to explain it. I really don't know how you explain it to these guys, but it, it, it's bad. It's just really, really bad. But the Ra- the Saints, excuse me, Saints are not too far off from first place, though. They just need Atlanta to basically still be bad, but still a tight division, bad records and all. Speaking of bad records, you ever seen Pittsburgh two and six at any point lately? State rivalry. Steelers lose to the Eagles 35-13. to Kenny Pickett, not exactly a great game, and the run game from this team, still, still nothing great. Claypool, quiet game, four catches for 45 yards. And... Not a lot defensively. I mean, a couple sacks. Jalen Hurts had himself a really good game. Farm for nearly 304 scores. They did get Gardner Minshew in. This guy's talent's being wasted. Miles Sanders. you think this guy would get more carries, but 78 and a score. A.J. Brown has proven to be, I think, the the big reason Philadelphia is 7-0 and this year. Although one has to worry if Devontae Smith is not getting uh, the stuff that he had last year. You wonder if he's kind of like the forgotten guy. But nevertheless, uh, defense stepping up, and obviously this is a dangerous team, especially in a dangerous uh, division right now. Uh, New England, New England beats Jets. Enough said. Uh, four and four for the year. Jets fall to five and three. Mac Jones, kind of a quiet game. One ninety four and a score and a pick. Uh, Stevenson, 
running for 70-plus and catching for 70-plus. Of course, defense making the big plays when they needed to, uh, especially with the interceptions. You got Zach Wilson throwing for nearly three, throwing for over 350, two scores, but three interceptions. James Robinson did not do much in his debut with, with the Jets. Michael Carter, that run game is just just not good. Just not good at all. And it's not as if the Jets were bad defensively, but just it, it, it was a it was a close game. It was a very close game, and the Patriots made the adjustments in the second half to to beat them. Otherwise, it's a pretty equal game. Titans five and two for the year, beating the Texans, who dropped to one five and one. Malik Willis made a start in place of Ryan Tannehill. 55 yards and a pick. They might be saying, what did Derrick Henry do? 32 carries, 219 yards, two scores, and one catch for nine yards. So, four games in a row against the Texans where he ran for over 200 yards and two-plus touchdowns. This guy... Seventh year in the league, and he is still playing with that idea that every game could be his last. And he's showing his authority the same way he did in Alabama. I actually read an article recent in the last uh, 24 hours of Eddie George, who is a Titan legend in and of himself, Congratulating uh, Henry on, I believe it was like like a touchdown record, and his stats altogether, he he's not too far from George's rushing record for the Titans. Eddie George did run for ten thousand plus in nine seasons, no eight seasons. My apologies. Uh, with them and about 64 touchdowns uh, rushing for them so he's already eclipsed the rushing touchdown stuff I believe he's up to 70 plus for his career Derrick Henry and it's funny because four years ago he wasn't playing the same way that he is now and this was third year in the league he became the starter in place of DeMarco Murray retiring but they also had Deion Lewis who was a factor for uh, New England for a while and of course the big game that everyone saw him do was that game against uh Jacksonville, where he ran for 99 yards and a score on on one play, and obviously he ran for 200 plus and multiple touchdowns. Uh, but that's where it all started, and since then he has become one of the most dangerous uh, running backs in all of the National Football League. Very dangerous. I mean. If he can get to, I'd say, 12,000 yards and get to maybe 100-plus touchdowns for his career, this guy should be a Hall of Famer. I think he needs to play another four or five years to be in that consideration for the Hall of Fame. Because what he's done so far is really, really good. Uh, Houston, Davis Mills, kind of a quiet game. And the run game... Nothing there. Uh, Damian Pierce, 15 for 35. Although he did catch a touchdown from Mills. Keep your eyes on the Seahawks. They might be the team that that could win the NFC West, uh, beating the Giants with Geno Smith. Actually playing pretty decent. Actually, both sides, their run games were not 
were not there, though Smith had the better better touchdown uh, stat, thrown for two. I know Jones was pretty quiet. And obviously what Pete Carroll's doing is pretty amazing. Both teams both teams kind of were somewhat equal. Just the touchdowns probably made the huge difference in that fourth quarter as well. Some of the Giants are usually actually pretty good at this year, fourth quarter. Washington. Now they're 500 for the year. Uh, narrowly beating uh, Indianapolis. Taylor Heineke, pretty decent game. The run game not being there. But definitely getting some big plays out of Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. Sam Ellinger being the starter for uh, kind of a quiet game and the Hines guy getting a touchdown. And he got traded away to, to Buffalo. So definitely looking for some big plays in a ground game that it hasn't exactly been been strong and really hasn't been strong in the last couple of years. And speaking of that, uh, before that, three, four, and one Colts. Speaking of that, uh, there's some stories going on now about uh, Daniel Snyder, the uh, owner of the. Commanders looking at maybe a potential sale and talking to Bank of America on trying to sell the team. Something definitely is up. I don't know if he's trying to save face or maybe his time has become pretty obvious that there might be a number of owners in the NFL that don't want him around anymore, or maybe there's stuff behind the scenes that they're not fond of. And I mean, there could be multiple factors, but since he owned the team, I mean, they've only been to the playoffs, I think, five or six times. Man, it's just a tumultuous and bad relationship, you know, a bad running of of a franchise that has been pretty dormant since 1993. And I believe there was also some stuff at the time of recording this episode, uh, arrests made in the shooting of Robinson, Brian Robinson, the running back of the commanders. And there could be more than one uh, suspect. Say what you will with this next game. San Francisco beating uh, the Rams 31-14. Dominant second half by the Niners. Jimmy Garoppolo had himself a pretty decent game. Christian McCaffrey stealing the show. 94 yards and a score rushing. He threw a touchdown for 34 yards. And he caught eight passes for 55 and a score. This IU guy, man, last... Three, four games, he's been lights out good. And Kettle's got himself a touchdown, too. So this, better than you think. Uh, I don't know who would be the true favorite. I, I would think San Francisco would be the divisional winner when the season ends. But anything goes. And obviously the Rams just keep struggling to run the ball. Stafford, pretty quiet game. There was a serious injury concern for Cooper Cup, but from any from all indications, from stories for, told from uh, multiple sources about Sean McVay, nothing too serious. So probably hoping that he comes back soon, if not maybe in the next game. Sunday night game. Bills almost squandered it, but. Managed to beat uh, Green Bay six and one now. The Bills, Packers three and five for the year. Matt Lafleur probably not in the hot seat yet, given the fan base for uh, the Packers. Aaron Rodgers not exactly the not exactly the 
a great game. 200 plus, just over 200 actually. Two touchdowns and a pick. The big uh, play is coming from Aaron Jones running for 143. I believe no, not much in the receiving game. So, I mean, obviously the big problem being they don't really have anybody. Their their wide receiver core is kind of getting depleted. No Alan Lazard, no Randall Cobb. It's going to be a struggle. Josh Allen, he did not have a good game. 218, two touchdowns, which isn't horrible, but two interceptions. Run game was played decent enough. Not really anybody outside of Diggs getting the ball. Ton of tackles for this Edmonds guy, and honestly, both sides pretty equal defensively. See what happens uh, if Green Bay makes the adjustments necessary to make a push to get into the postseason. And Monday Night Football, Cleveland gets a big win against Cincinnati. So you got a five and three team, four and four. Three and five, two and six. It's like going down a step of stairs. So Joe Burrow for the four and four Bengals. Decent game, two thirty-two, two scores and a pick. That run game, it just hasn't been the same like it was in the last couple of years. Jacoby Brissett played himself a good game. Nick Chubb. Just strong as usual. I believe he's up to 10 touchdowns for the year. Mari Cooper had himself a really good game. I mean, there were a lot of questions on if Kareem Hunt was going to be gone out of Cleveland, but still there. And obviously, tons of sacks. And a lot of it coming from Cleveland and about a couple from uh, Cincinnati. 32 to 13 was that final. Actually, I'm going to look up that stat for uh, Chubb because I believe he's leading everybody in rushing yards and touchdowns. So he's up to 841 for the year, 10 touchdowns rushing this year. So it, only the second time in his in his now five year career where he's had double digit touchdowns rushing, and he's still playing at a high level. He's still, I mean, he's up to 5,600 yards for the year. My gut tells me he'll be around, I'd say, 6,300 yards, 6,400 by the end of the season. Like, this is the type of running back that I think Cleveland's been wanting for a long, long time. I mean, this is, this is, this is like Jim Brown territory good, although the one negative aspect to uh, the play of Chubb is that he doesn't catch the ball. I mean, they don't throw it to him, to be exact. So, still, I mean, you can still be a good back and not catch the ball. Although that's more relegated to, to Hunt. So it's not like Cleveland's out of the hunt yet, no pun intended. And yeah, I just think this team could be good, but we're about a few weeks away from uh, from uh, Deshaun Watson being back from suspension. Curious to see how he fares once he gets under center. And looking at other stuff, such as the NBA, the Nets and Steve Nash parted ways. We're not even a month into the season. And Nash is gone. I think a lot of it plays into probably the relationship with him and Kevin Durant and some of these other big-name stuff. And this is coming off of a at a time where the Nets are struggling to get people to to watch them play in Brooklyn. It's not something like crime either. It's it's high prices and all this 
inflation and all this other stuff. It just it, it's it's not pleasing any of the season ticket holders, and it's not. I mean, to the casual fan, it's probably not worth going. Probably, probably more expensive to get in now. And I think that's certainly one aspect that it's going to get frustrating is the costs when you go to these games now these days. I'm not sure about minor league stuff, but or even like D leagues or any of that. Uh, briefly with NASCAR, Christopher Bell, he did the unthinkable. He won. So he punched his ticket into the championship four for this Sunday. Two weeks ago, he got knocked out by Bubba Wallace because Wallace had to act like a little child and, and basically wipe out Kyle Larson and knocked Bell out of the race too. I'm sure he apologized a lot to Bell, but definitely be talking that briefly in a second. But Bell, he needed a win just to get into the championship, and by golly, he did. Ross Chastain had an interesting uh, way to get into the championship four. Basically, he hugged the wall like a video game. And looking at the clip, it's like he just basically kept himself on the throttle and when you hit a wall it certainly affects I'd say the dynamics of the car the physics and just how it runs but he managed to go from 10th to 5th pretty quickly in the final two laps and managed to get past Denny Hamlin to secure the last spot in the championship round so you're Four that are competing. Joey Logano, who I believe won earlier uh, in that round, in the round of eight. Chastain, Chase Elliott, and Bell. So you got four different groups, four different teams. I say that makes it exciting. And speaking of Bubba, for a brief moment. Losing over a million dollars and a huge fine. I mean, the fact that... It, I, I think it's going to serve as a lesson. It's going to serve as a big, big, big lesson. I'm going to look at that. Bubba Wallace fine. I believe it was over a million... It was about a million dollar fine. And he accepts it. <coughs> and this ain't the first time I believe he's been penalized either or suspended. But it definitely is interesting to see I mean, the values and all the moral stuff. I'm sure Denny Hamlin ain't pleased. About it, and neither is Michael Jordan. <sighs> I mean, I hope it serves as a stepping stone for NASCAR taking things more seriously in terms of retaliation, and if anybody tries to manipulate how the race goes, yeah, it, it's just not a good site for NASCAR. Not a good site at all. Uh, baseball, very briefly, uh, World Series underway, three games in as of recording of this episode. Philadelphia, they want to play like it's like it's no tomorrow. They are, I mean, they put up a pretty good comeback against uh, Houston in Game 1, 6-5 victory in extra innings, lost 5-2 in Game 2, and then... Uh, last night, seven nothing victory. I think this extra rest for um, from the Monday game, which was postponed due to rain, I think this benefits Philadelphia a lot more. And this team is just as hot as it can get. Bryce Harper's playing at a whole new level, and you wonder if winning a World Series will will change his legacy forever because he's been 
in this league for 11 years since he was, what, 20? And to get his World Series ring, if he does get it, I think he could be looked at as one of the great players. Maybe not the absolute number one of the last 10 years, but definitely one of the top players of of the decade and maybe so far in the century. As far as Houston goes, I mean, there's some, there's questions. I was looking up uh, stuff on whether Lance McCullers was tipping pitches. There's like a lot of questions into that. And honestly, he's not that great of a pitcher. I mean, he, when he's good, he can be good. When he's bad, it's it's obvious. One of the last things I'll bring up uh, pretty quick is Dusty Baker being ashamed that there's no U.S. Uh, black players playing in the World Series. And people trying to see that as a big issue. I don't see it as a big issue because you got various ethnicities and and color in baseball it's it's about as diverse as you can get with players coming from what the Dominican Republic Africa Europe it's not like it's a one-sided thing and if if I'm being real I think one of the things regarding um uh, Uh, U.S. black players, if there is any, there. What's the incentive of playing on a few hundred thousand dollars when they can get the big money immediately playing in the NBA or the NFL? Especially if they're going to be stuck in the minor leagues until they're twenty-four or twenty-five. I mean, the, let me look at Kyler Murray. He's going to make what fifty-plus million, maybe more when it's all said and done, whenever his career ends, he'll be making way more than I think he would have in, in Major League Baseball. And he excelled in both uh, baseball and football in college, so maybe they see more incentives to being in football or basketball. I don't know. Oh, boy. So let's get to the movies. Not exactly a great weekend, considering Halloween weekend. But, we got a repeat at number one being, uh, what's the name of it? Black Adam, that DC comic movie from the, from the Rock. Black Adam made 27 plus million over the weekend, and as it stands right now, it's made over 250 million worldwide. Man, it needs about double that just to make a profit, and I don't see this making any sort of profit at all. Ticket to Paradise, uh, number two, repeating at number two, made just behind, just below 10 million and it is not faring all that greatly 34 million domestically but 85 internationally so this movie probably will make some sort of profit at the end of the day new for this weekend was was pray for the devil and it made just over 7 million so obviously another one of those looks like something like the Conjuring or the Nun, and so I can't imagine this getting past twenty million. I mean, maybe it might, but all the Halloween stuff, eh. Smile's still doing pretty decent, making a little over five million, and pretty equal numbers domestically and internationally for about 187 million worldwide crazy how how big that movie's still doing in the theater halloween ends at number 5 making just over 4 million 61 million domestically right now and 34 plus internationally there was like a petition being made to change the ending, I guess. 
at least from what I understand. So number six, a big leap up uh, from 13th to 6th is Till, that Emmett Till movie, making just over $2.7 million, and as it stands right now, it's about uh, almost $4 million. That come out nationwide, two thousand plus theaters, so kind of nationwide. I just, I just don't see the movie doing all that well. Unless this gets more, uh, more theaters, I'd say this movie's just gonna fail. Speaking of fails, Lila Crocodile at number seven, two point seven million. So it's already made its way to. 32 million plus it altogether worldwide it's up to 50 million which is the budget but this will probably be seen as kind of a bit of a failure it's been out for almost a month uh, number eight terrifier 2 at 1.9 million so far it's made less than 8 million. And probably will get maybe it's kind of in that same situation as Tilt. Maybe it might get more movie, more more uh, theaters next weekend or not. Maybe not. I don't know. Number nine, The Woman King at one point one million. Definitely nearing the end of its run, but sixty four million as of right now. Twenty two plus mil internationally. So obviously, probably could be seen as as. A success potentially. And number 10, Tar, which made over a million, and so far it's only made 2.6 million. Still kind of small release in only a thousand theaters. Maybe it's one of those things that just gets more and more nationwide. So definitely the smaller films, definitely gaining traction. It's a matter of how many more theaters will be put in if anybody's actually interested. And speaking of that, let's see what is on the horizon because we got a few limited releases, including a today a Mother Teresa film, uh, a re-release of... Uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla and Duran Duran tomorrow. Uh, so this weekend, Armageddon Time is the only one that is getting a nationwide release. It has been in some theaters over the weekend in about six theaters. So... Soft, a bunch of limited films. Let's take a look at some. Soft and Quiet. <sighs> Suspenseful film, probably a violent one. One Piece film, Red, that's an anime film. So, 129 million internationally. Damn. So, probably has already been a success, and they're just trying to see how it fares. Um, how it fares in in the states probably won't do greatly, but any little bit helps. Uh, another limited film, Dear Zoe, and looks like a teen drama or young adult drama. Vandits, the hell kind of movie is. Four stoner idiots proclaim the bandits have a bright idea to knock over a senior citizen's bingo hall on Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh, this does not look like it'll be a good movie. <laughs> if I want to watch like uh, watch a bunch of idiots, I think I'd watch Bad Santa. You resemble me. Let's see what that is. Looks like a drama. Looks like a indie drama. Uh, Salvatore Shoemaker Dreams. 
documentary. I mean, like a biopic type of film. Shoemaker during the silent era. Huh. That doesn't seem too bad of a film. Someone trying to find life in America. Or something along that line. And the estate. Looks like a comedy based on the idea of two sisters winning over, attempting to win over their terminally ill, difficult to please aunt, hoping to become beneficiaries of her wealthy estate. Maybe a comedy drama. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, not much else over the weekend. Uh, a League of Legends World Championship and a re-release for the 35th anniversary of planes, trains, and automobiles. Probably a one-day thing. And coming next week, amongst a bunch of limited releases, is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I'd imagine that will do really well, but I don't think it'll do the numbers of what it did, what the first movie did. Uh, four plus years ago, dang. Early 2018, that movie did really well. I think it surprised a lot of people. Maybe, it's, if I had to guess, maybe it just didn't follow the same mold as, uh, as, uh, many other Marvel movies. But no doubt that'll give, uh, the box office that shot in the arm that I think Hollywood is desperately needing. I'm curious to see if a number of these movies are being only in movie theaters and if any of them are both in movie theaters and streaming. Because I feel like that's what's kind of hurt along with the panned you know, reaction from Halloween Ends. Should it have been on Peacock? Because it sounds like it shouldn't have. I mean, I know the pandemic is about over, but people are still getting COVID, and I can understand Universal sticking to having a uh, streaming release, but we're past that. You know, I think it's time we get back to the way things were to some extent. And regardless, not really a lot that interests me this year. But there's definitely some movies down the road I'll definitely want to see. Especially the the Mario movie that comes out. And there's something that comes out in March. I forget what it was. Oh, there was some movie as well. That, some Christmas, Christmas movie coming out. Supposed to be like a thriller type film. Where the Santa goes after goes after like like a two bit gangster and his crew trying to rob a wealthy family. Not sure that will fare all that well. It interests me a little bit, but probably won't see it. So moving on lastly to gaming. Atari. Atari, Atari, Atari. This year marks 50 years since they were first founded back in 1972. And actually, this past September, the Atari 2600, or when it was originally known as Video Computer System, turned 45. Atari was one of the biggest pioneers of the gaming industry. And that's coming from a time where you had a you know, very few very few uh, games coming about. And to find like a market in the United States and definitely we'll be talking about 
one of the biggest games of all time, kickstarting the industry. Um, although probably in a few, few more episodes, I'll definitely be talking about it. Yeah, you, know, you can't deny the impact of Atari, both the good and the bad, and that's why there is a compilation coming out next week called Atari Fifty, and it interests me. It interests me a lot because it's not just a compilation of Atari 2600 games and they called it a day. It goes across seven different platforms and it comes out on just about everything. It's going to come out on PS5, PS4, the Xbox line, the Switch, and PC. Over a hundred games. Across the arcade, the 2600, and we're finally starting to see some other systems get the love from them. The 5200, the 7800, the 800 computer, the Atari Lynx, and the Atari Jaguar. The arcade stuff is interesting because it's a lot of their early stuff up until the early 80s. Now someone might be saying, well where's the other stuff? under the copyright of Warner Brothers. Atari Games fielded some really good arcade games from the mid-80s up through the mid-90s and being bought out by Midway around the mid to late 90s. Yeah, it's a shame because those, there's some pretty good stuff from that era like Paperboy, uh, Gauntlet, Pit Fighter, and many other games. But, you know, early Atari still is good. You had stuff such as Centipede and Asteroids. The fact that Food Fight's on there is amazing because I love that game. The concept is so simple yet addicting. And obviously you get a lot of 2600 games. Although the libraries are limited for the 5200 and up, it's still nice to see support for it, especially the 5200. Because... The controller for that system, from what I understand, it, it makes the system unplayable, and I feel like that's the reason why that system doesn't get the type of love it gets, along with maybe some of the games not being so much different from their 2600 counterparts. Although it did have a superior Pac-Man from the looks of it, and obviously hardware that couldn't rival what the ColecoVision was doing. Although it had its own share of exclusives between the two systems. Uh, 7800, I don't think we're missing too much, but still, nice to see the support there. The Atari 800, I know Atari did well with computers in the 80s. But the Lynx and Jaguar, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, about 8 or 9 games for the Jaguar and that was a system that had about 50 games across a 3-4 year stretch. Uh, they're not exactly the games most people probably want to play outside of maybe like a Tempest 2000. But to see, to see support on there, especially for an emulation scene that has been unkind to the Jaguar, that is very special. Hugely special. And just to see the Lynx even get some love, uh, that didn't have a huge library either, about 60 games, maybe 70, within a six-year stretch. Still, to get the games that they originally made, I'm, I'm pretty impressed, and I believe it's a $40 game. It, it definitely interests me, because I... Do have a soft spot for Atari. My preference is more like early Nintendo, early Sega, or more so Genesis era Sega. But to pl- you know, go back and play some of those games such as Food Fight and Centipede. So something about those early '80s arcade games just it fills something in my heart when it comes to the arcade games. It really does. And lastly, um, 
Talk Xbox Live. So this year marks 20 years since Xbox Live was first implemented on the original Xbox. It originally ran for about 8 years until early 2010. Now obviously the system had been done for a good 2-3 years at that point. And yeah, it the support for it definitely it was just mostly for online it didn't have anything robust compared to what the 360 would have um, at the end of at the beginning of its run the fact that the 360 servers are still up says something same with the PS3 as well but that's not the discussion here or there what is the discussion is Insignia bringing back the original Xbox Live now, for people that grew up on Sega Dreamcast, PS2, Xbox, a lot of these games are, you know, that were online, they ceased to exist. Now, Sega Saturn has online, but it's just for five games, and it was via dial-up. Different era. You can still play those games, but you couldn't. I mean, unless you knew someone that really wanted to play Sega Saturn online. And even the Genesis and Super NES had online capabilities via a third party called X-Band. I think, I think even Sega tried doing that in uh, Japan with the online thing like Telenet. It was like a weird thing back then. But... It's going to be for a lot of, for a number of games um, for the Xbox, and I'm sure the, I'm sure the library will get bigger as, as time goes on, but as it stands, I mean, they're probably just testing the water to make sure that nothing goes too bad and hopefully they don't get in trouble so this has been something that's been on the horizon since I guess the summer so basically this is going to be from purexbox.com connect a replacement version of Xbox Live 1.1 You'll be able to connect with via setup assistant. You need to have V2 version of the Xbox Live dashboard. Run the setup assistant to register your console with the Insignia team. If you're using a modded Xbox, just download the assistant, transfer it over to your console. Require if it's a standard, it requires soft modding by downloading a specific save file from Insignia. Explained on the website. So it seems a little. Yeah, this is one of those do-at-your-own-risk things. Yeah, I'm not sure it's worth the risk to soft-mod it. But I know there was at least... At least some games getting put on there, such as... Getting their online back, such as... I know Call of Duty, Finest Hours getting back on there. Crimson Skies, Fantasy Star... So back in the summer, they announced about 13 games. I'm just going to look for it. Okay. Counter-Strike, pretty popular game. Crimson Skies, Dead or Alive Ultimate. Definitely Dead or Alive gets a bit of love. Mech Assault, Midtown Madness 3, Fantasy Star Online Episode 1 and 2, Star Wars Jedi Academy. That era of Star Wars was definitely liked for a lot of reasons. Uh, Street Fighter Anniversary Collection, Unreal Championship, yep, Whacked 13, the original Xbox Live Arcade, and the demo for MotoGP Online, including on the original Xbox Live demo disc. And I heard some more stuff for about the, like, Call of Duty, Finest Hour, and, like, a few others, uh games. Definitely will have to look at the list as time goes on, but definitely cool to see. Not sure it's worth the risk of soft modding it, but still, you're going to see more of it, I think, as time goes on. I know there's 
fans that are doing that with some of the PS3 games. They managed to revive uh, Warhawk, which was an online-only game, and you wonder, uh, down the road on other online-only games, uh, that PS3 project group, uh, they're not targeting GTA 5 because obviously that could lead to huge lawsuits between them and Rockstar. Better safe than sorry, and they're definitely targeting titles that I think will, or target the stuff that they know won't get them in trouble. So, pretty cool to see. Hope to see that with other systems. Hope they start doing that with like the DS and the PSP. Especially with some of those games. I imagine a lot of people want to go back and play some of those online games. Especially for PSP. Uh, so with that, that's the end of the episode. So as I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So, with that, episode 127 of Geeks and Jacks, this is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care everyone.